November is National Grief Awareness Month, and it's a time to reflect on the people that we've lost. Grief takes many, many forms, and children struggle in much different ways than adults. And Thursday, November 18th, is Children's Grief Awareness Day across North America. And uh, here in Niagara, the Grief Network Niagara, Hospice Niagara, and Pastone Mental Health and Pastone Foundation have come together to put together two workshops on tools to help children. And talking to kids about death and dying is the first one. And the second is about the ripple effect. Angel Graham is presenting the sessions, and she's a child and family therapist at Pastone Mental Health, and she also has her own practice, and she's on the executive of Grief Network Niagara. Hi, Angel. It's nice to talk to you again. We've talked several times over the last year and a half about children and their response to COVID and going to school and not going to school. And But November is Grief Awareness Month, and... November 18th is Children's Grief Awareness Day, and it's across North America. Yeah. And what you're doing in Niagara, and you're doing this in conjunction with Hospice Niagara, um, Niagara Grief Network, uh, Pathstone, where yep. you're a counselor, is to present a full day uh, with two workshops on how to deal with grief with children. And why is that important to have this this day that is focused on on grief for children? Children's Grief Awareness Day is actually a day to think about the impact um, that a death has on a child and their need for actual support. Um, today and obviously today being November the 18th and across the year. So the idea is that this day provides educate education, excuse me, um, to the community about grieving children, as well as equips peers and adults to support grieving children and honor those children and their loved ones who have died. Um, it provides more recognition. And it's always a lot of people don't realize it's always the third Thursday of November every year. And it's the Thursday before the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh so a few months ago, I spoke to a grief specialist about adult grief. Okay. And we talked about, you know, everybody talks about the seven stages of grief, and that actually doesn't exist. We don't all grieve in the same way. And children must grieve very differently from adults because it's so hard for adults to process what has yeah. happened. And, um, you know, for children to gra grapple with something that is uh, just totally out of any kind of experience they've ever had. Right. So for kids, um, when, you, when you're talking about, uh, you were talking there about Kubler-Ross's stages of grief, um, and that initially was created for people who were dying. Um, that's been debunked now because grief is considered non-linear, right? So you know how in her stages, there's that final stage of acceptance. Well, we as adults, we may come to a point of accepting a death, but it doesn't mean that you don't go back and have sad days whereby you're hitting depression or you get triggered, right? So it's not stages. It can be very messy. Um, it's sort of like this messy line, not a straight continuum. And for children, it's similar. There are going to be triggers along the way. So if there's a parent that died, so Father's Day or Mother's Day are always triggers for these kids at school. And I am a firm believer that schools should have in their OSR. So that's the Ontario uh, school report record. Um, a date, the date of the parent's death, so that the teacher is aware 
uh, that this kid has had their parent die and know that Mother's Day or Father's Day are triggers and, and the date of the death is a, is a trigger. So that kid might act out a little more at school and to be a little more compassionate and understanding. Now for children, they grieve in chunks. They may seem like, for example, um, years back when my maternal grandmother died um, and I did her eulogy, my kid sisters at the time were only five. And I remember they were playing and they were super close with her because she was also she assisted with some of their primary caregiving for uh, personal reasons. But that being said, at their funeral, I remember my uncle saying, oh, look at them. They're going to be fine. They're just playing. No, they're being kids because and kids learn through play. Right. But they didn't really understand the finality of death. Little ones under the age of nine, because cognitively kids up until that point, they still believe in magic. Right. And make belief. Um, Santa Claus, as we know, is real, but around nine, <laughs> developmentally, that's when we start to realize um, that th there is a finality to death, okay? And prior to that, our brains don't quite understand it because cognitively, we're still developing concrete operations. Um, so that is the difference between children versus adults. Um, and of course, the difference between adults and children and teens is teens can also be more impulsive because their brains aren't fully developed. So when they're grieving or in shock, they may make um, impulsive decisions to be with the loved one versus an adult, at least, even though they're grieving cognitively, their brains are more developed to process it and they have more life experience versus younger ones. So uh, I and you, you're touching on this. How difficult is it for younger children or, or teenagers? I mean, children, I guess, under the age of 20. Um, yep. I don't and I'm just that's a random age. How difficult is it for them to talk about it without being prompted in, say, a session with a therapist like you where they feel very safe, um, but to talk to their friends, for example, who also don't know anything about grief? Right. So people people tend to make this assumption um, that grieving kids uh, get over it. Right. And in reality, no one gets over the death of a loved one. We what we do is we have to move forward in our lives. Right. And so for kids, you were asking and even for teenagers, how do we approach them? If I understand your question correctly and, and engage in that dialogue, what's most important and you don't even have to be a therapist to do this is just to listen. Right. And, and great starters would be like, um, for example, I'm just going to come up with a random name here. Johnny, you know, I was saddened to hear that your mother died and you have to use the word died when you're dealing with kids, especially we never say loss or gone, or she's in heaven. And even if that's your uh, religious and spiritual beliefs, because the reality is they need to hear the finality of that word. When we use the word loss, I'm sorry to hear, you know, your mother passed away. It minimizes the experience when in reality, they are physically gone forever from earth, right? And, and kids, just as much as us adults, need to hear that word death. And I know at the start of this, I believe, um, death education doesn't have to be difficult because it's actually something that this day and it's something i'm very passionate about that we should be able to talk openly about um i can talk about death no problem whereas some people can feel very uncomfortable but we shouldn't feel uncomfortable because it is part of the natural life cycle and if we sort of um make it more of our vocabulary it won't be so difficult for those when they're grieving and for us supporters to step in and support those that are grieving because ultimately um, we all thrive and we do well when there's that human connection so in terms of how do we then 
um, bring this out even when there isn't a death. When I deliver presentations and trainings to the communities, I always talk about, you can talk about death with your kids just on a walk. You can see that a squirrel was hit by a car. And I use that even with my own son, Tyler, when he was much younger to say, see that squirrel? It was hit by a car. That's why I need you to hold mommy's hand because if you get hit by a car, you die. Um, you can even use a science lesson there, right? The body decomposes, um, but the heart stops beating. Mommy would never see you again physically. And that squirrel is dead. So that's a prime example of how you don't actually have to have a loved one die to introduce death to a child, right? Um, the first death, hopefully for some kids whereby a parent or caregiver could introduce it as well, would be the death of a pet. You know, your goldfish dies, don't go out and buy a new one or flush it down the toilet. Let them know that the fish died or your dog. We don't try and hide it. Because in reality, I think it's all good intentions. We're trying to shelter our kids, but we're actually doing damage by sheltering them versus letting them know this is part of life. And part of our job as your parents and caregivers is to help provide you with the skills to deal with life's adversities. Because life is not just like the stages of grief. It's not a straight line. It's messy. And we want our kids as meaning teenagers as well. And when you said that age 20, uh, the brain continues just for the record to develop until we're 25. We know that now. So up until 25, we still have this sort of like some of us, I think girls develop um, more maturity than boys. It's just a fact. But the that brain development continues until we're 25. So that impulsivity is still there. And so some of that cognition and difficulties still exist until we're about 25. Um, and I apologize, but the whole point of all of this is that we can engage in that dialogue prior to a death, but when a death does happen, we need to involve children. And the other thing, even though you didn't ask me this, Janice, but I often get asked, you know, what's the appropriate age for a kid to come to a funeral? Well, I was actually going to ask you that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's one of the questions I always get asked. And what is the age in which we love? And if you think of that, we love from the moment of birth. So there is no age limit. Children should be part of funeral services from the moment of birth. Because if you are old enough to love, you're old enough to grieve. And an example of that would be if you have a baby whose parent dies, that baby is going to grieve their absence and wonder where their loved one is, right? And they're going to cry more and need more attention and coddling and love. All babies need holding, but those ones are going to need it a little more. That child is grieving. That baby deserves to attend the funeral, right? And those in attendance, the thing when you actually involve children in funeral services, the fantastic part for the grievers is it reminds them that life goes on, right? And kids have this way of reminding us of that. But the only way they will remind us is if you make them part of the process. It's, yeah, um, I'm listening to you say we have to say the word died. Yep. And as adults, we avoid that. And, you know, when you bring the pet into it, too, and I, and losing a pet can cause a lot of grief. I mean, I've had uh, dogs and and it's it's very, very, very difficult. Um, but you can say, oh, my dog died. Yeah. Right. Yep. But for it's so hard to say to someone, oh, I heard that your mom died or I heard that your grandfather died. We don't say that. And and it's such a it's such a harsh word. So it's so interesting to hear that that's actually what we need to be able to say to kids because of this finality. And as adults, we understand that, you right. know, 
But if you think of, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, like I know, I know myself from personal experience that if we don't use the word when, um, say a motor vehicle accident happens with the person who has experienced the death of a loved one. And today, um, I, I don't know if I can say the day we're recording this, we are recording this in advance for Sunday. Um, but there was a tragedy, uh, today on the QEW, there was a fatality and someone lost lost their life by saying someone lost their life when that individual's uh loved ones are notified they will be told that so and so died today upon impact the officers have to use that word because the brain doesn't register unless you hear the word dead it will not register if you say your child was lost today they have to hear the word dead because the brain itself will then register that word because otherwise you're like i'm sorry i don't understand what you're saying oh he got lost from school like on his way to school like right and 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 then there's that part of your mind that's hopeful right versus when you hear the d word and we need to destigmatize it just like mental health right when you hear that word it cognitively registers and a lot of us avoid talking about people's loved ones after they die, which is ultimately what the griever needs. And we forget that, right? Because parents have often um, said to me, you know, nobody asks about my kid anymore. And it breaks their heart because it's as if they weren't alive. And I'm like, as a therapist, you know, you validate their feelings. Oh, that must be horrible. How, how devastating for you. But all it takes is a girlfriend or a friend to say, Hey, you know, I've been thinking of uh, your son, Johnny, you remember, he would love this time of the year that does millions of like gives like such positive vibes to that grieving parent to know that you remember their kid or likewise, um, for myself, my dad is now deceased. And when somebody says something about my dad who knew him and you're talking 26 years ago and they bring up my father and it's a heartwarming help heartfelt uh compliment about my dad it makes my whole heart warm up inside and then I even share that with my son who's never met his grandfather right and I think as adults we forget to do that or we feel awkward for some reason when in reality until you're actually in it (laughs) then you realize oh my god this is helpful for someone else I want people to do this for me but we need to be doing it for each other more and if we teach our kids about that they're more likely to be the next generation that will do that and if we think of the past in all honesty funerals used to be held in people's homes not in in funeral homes right if we think back people used to gather and the body was um was actually there the open casket and people would gather in the home and we we somehow lost that and then thanks to the pandemic we haven't lost funerals they became this virtual event right i mean there were some pluses because people from overseas could attend, but it's not the same by any means. And what it actually has done um, for like people who didn't actually have funerals, those grievers didn't get the proper, I don't like using the word closure because sometimes you never get closure, but the, the proper experience of having people, because when a funeral service is not for the deceased, it's for the grievers of having the love and support of all those people showing up and, and showing you they care. Right. And even my, I can tell you during, um, it was the start of the pandemic. So, and forgive me if I have the, um, 
the month wrong, but I believe it was around May of 2020. My, my son and I drove to Welland. Uh, one of his peer mates' mother had to come to cancer. And there was no funeral for this beautiful, inspiring local uh, Niagara woman. Um, she was very well known also at Brock University. But what we did was we went to the home and he knocked on the door and he said to the, in, en route too, he said, what should I say to, without saying the little girl's name, so I'm just going to call her, um, I got to come up with a name here, Janice. Susie. <laughs> what should I say to yeah. Susie um, and on the car? And I said, well, Tyler, buddy, you need to say, I'm saddened to hear your mom died, right? And he found it a little difficult to say died. But when we got there, he said, you know, Susie, uh, I was really saddened to hear that your mom's not here anymore. That sucks. And he, you know what? And it does suck. And she said, thank you. And then we also brought like, cause I know proper grieving resources. So we bought a brought, excuse me, a children's book for the family. Um, and then I ended up speaking with the father at quite length and there were two daughters and they went outside and started playing with my son, even though at that point people, you know, the mask, it didn't matter because, and he said, nobody just immediate family had been by, but it was great to have a classmate, you know, show up. And the one thing I ended up posting about it on social, just Tyler and I in the car and the discussion we had and saying that the one thing I want to teach him, no matter what, if I'm physically not here for whatever reason, I want my son to know that during hard times you show up. That's when you're present for your friends and your family. The easy times. Yeah, we can all be present when there's a party and a wedding and, you know, but it's the difficult moments in life that people struggle with. And even yesterday, I was at my chiropodist. I got funky feet that need orthotics, getting old, the joys. But he even said to me, Angel, I have a real hard time when somebody dies reaching out and calling that person. And I'm like, yeah, some because we're at the age, unfortunately, where some of our parents, you know, um, are, are, I don't want to say moving on, but are dying, right? You know, for whatever reason, because that's part of the aging process. Um, and I've already experienced it, but some of my friends now are, we're in that stage, you know, yeah. uh, part of life and uh, nobody lives forever. <laughs> but uh, he had said to me that he's finding it hard to reach out to friends when a parent passes. And I said, but you need to. And he's like, yeah, well, how do you start that conversation? I said, well, maybe even just instead of picking up a phone or if you have such a hard time, because now in the world of texting, but still just show up at the door, um, you know, and I love the line. People always say, you know, uh, let me know if you need anything. Do you honestly think somebody who is grieving is going to reach out to you? You got to be kidding me, right? Um, that That's not going to happen. So what you need to do is you need to reach out to them, right? And maybe not like right in the moment, you know, two weeks thereafter, marking your calendar, you know, like I've got to visit Janice today, um, you know, and just bring her some something baked or whatever, right? Like, you know, I've had friends that have offered to do the clean, like cleaning for someone, you know, hire a maid. So there's so many things you can do now. Yeah. Um, like if you know someone's going through chemo in a hard time and it's difficult for you to visit for whatever reason, um, you've got your own stuff that you need to go see a therapist with and talk about. The point is you can still like hire um, a cleaner to stop by the house or order 
Uber Eats for the family, right? There are things you can now do, especially thanks to the pandemic, that shows them you're thinking of them and you want to help them during this difficult time, even if it's also difficult for you. Um, and I don't mind throwing in, even though we're here to raise awareness, excuse me, about children's grief on the 18th, November 16th is actually National Grievers Day across North America. And November, as you had said, is Grief Awareness Month because we are really trying here in Canada. There's also the Canadian Grief Alliance now was developed during the pandemic is to really raise awareness that we all grieve and the only way we're going to get through it is together and it's really important especially for children's grief that we don't let them continue to be silent mourners right because when we don't process those emotions and grief is a a multitude of emotions you can feel joy believe it or not I've had a kid who was happy that their loved one died because they were, and most, most adults feel that way sometimes when their loved ones it comes to cancer, right? Because their parent was in a lot of pain and they knew that, um, which is heart-wrenching, but then they felt guilty because they were relieved. They had that emotion and, and then, and then it's part to normalize it, you know, and that's what I did for the kid because like I said, you know, even my, my grandfather succumbed to lung cancer and watching that person slowly kind of deteriorate the disease was able to normalize it for the kid, you know, like you want your parent here with you on earth by all means, but you don't want them to suffer at the end, the end stage of their life. Nobody does. Right. So, um, but you can also feel, of course, depressed anger. You're allowed to feel that emotion too. You're allowed to be angry, even at God. And a lot of people experience that emotion and then feel guilty because they are, but it's, it's normal to experience every single emotion, but what ultimately matters is what you do with those feelings, right? So I often say to kids, yeah, you can be angry that your parents deceased or gone, whatever. The point is, it's not okay to throw your pencil in the classroom, you know, across the room. It's okay though, to say to your teacher, hey, I need to go for a walk right now. I need to be excused for a moment. Uh, I'm just feeling a little, you know, a lot of emotions. And if the teacher is aware of that, they're totally on board and understanding. We've talked in the past, you and I, about um, children grieving, losing their, or not seeing their friends and not having school because of yep. COVID. So from what, you, you know, and listening to what you're saying, the complexity of what kids must be going through right now if a parent or a friend or whoever died during the COVID when they weren't able to see their friends and now they're back at school, they're dealing with the, the loss and coming back and not, you know, people they don't know and all of those complications at school and then having to face grief that for something that happened a year ago um, right. that even a, a little kid by then is probably thinking, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. That's actually the second workshop, use the word workshop, I'm presenting on at Pathstone will actually occur in the evening. Um, and these are free events, but that one will be addressing secondary losses. And I'm going to even embed a bit about the pandemic, because during because COVID itself, the pandemic has created a ripple effect of grief, right? So when you think of loss, like, obviously, I'm talking about death for our discussion here today. But there are other losses that arise whenever a death occurs. So when we're talking about kids, the, the first thing, if a parent dies, more than likely the surviving parent, if they were in a couple relationship or if it was a single parent, then you got even additional problems. But what happens is that parent may not be able to sustain their current residence um, because you lost that additional income. So then that child then has to move. And then, so now in addition to my parent having no longer being a part of my life due to death, I now lose 
my school that I attended prior to the pandemic, um, as well as my peer group that's associated with my school, perhaps even recreational activities that are all part of that. So it's a multitude. It becomes then a multitude of losses compounded because of one death. And I, we, we often forget that all this other ripple stuff uh, uh, happens. And then what happens is that that becomes part of becomes more complex. The grief becomes even more complicated due to the fact that there's all these secondary losses. We could go on forever. Whenever you and I talk about things, we could go on forever about it. But it really is interesting to talk about grief uh, and talk about kids because you're, I mean, we don't talk about it and that's, and that's right. absolutely, that's absolutely right. So thanks again for coming on. I'm sure we'll talk again soon because there's so much going on with, with kids and, and mental health. Thank you again, Janice, for having us. Take care.